0: I want to tell you um, a little bit about our, our, our backstory because the motto of our ministry is family revival or revival looks like family. I love revival. I love the miracles. I love you know, the signs and what. I love the meetings, seeing people getting out of wheelchairs, the power of God touching people. I'm like, I am there. I want to be right in the middle of that where God is moving. I want to be right there. And so, But, but I've learned it, it's, it's not just a good meeting. It's not just souls getting saved and, and meetings and miracles. It, you can take revival home with you. You can have revival in your marriage. You can have revival with your children. Revival can be an inheritance that you can pass on to the next generation. And the next generation, to your grandkids, you can pass on an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance of revival to your grandchildren. And I think that's so powerful. We've had powerful moments with our children in our living room where the power of God shows up. And so we believe that revival looks like family. And, and, and I believe Canada, I believe the States is due for a revival of family. It's not just about a meeting because you can get burned out going to the meetings every single night. But, but God wants to show up in your bedroom. He wants to show up in your kitchen, and so we've been learning how to walk in sustained revival in our family with our children. And so um, um, a a bit of our story is we've always struggled with um, having children. My wife, if you you met her, she's like born to be a mom. She didn't, she's not like a career woman. She has no aspirations to, to be in the workforce. She just, like her whole life, her dream was to be a mom. And, um, in a few years into our marriage, we realized that we were having some real difficulties. It was a struggle was actually with me. My dad actually had, um, a zero sperm count and he was going through chemotherapy when I was conceived. If you think about that, there's absolutely no way. And if there was any way, the chemotherapy was killing all of that. But yet in the middle of that, I was conceived. I'm a, I'm a miracle child. And, um, but I was going through the same thing. And so, um, so there was no way for us to have kids. We had a doctor who said that it'll be impossible for you to have children. And so God started to move our heart towards adoption. So we ended up getting called by some of our pastor friends from Jamaica who we prayed for and couldn't have kids. And now they have f- four amazing kids. Every time they had a kid, the doctor said it would be impossible to have another child. That was a one-off. And now they have four amazing one-offs, <laughs> miracle children. <laughs> and so they, they said, there is, a, there is a little boy here he, um, who needs, needs a family. Do you guys want to come and meet him? So we left our church in Sylvan Lake, Alberta, Canada, And we moved to Jamaica to adopt uh, this champion, this little boy. Uh, At 11 months, we got custody of him, and we got legal guardianship right after that. And we thought, you know what? If we go through this process, it takes us a while. Maybe maybe it'll take a a year, and then we'll be able to go back to Canada. Well, we got stuck in Jamaica for seven years, you guys, (laughs) in the legal process, in all kinds of just things and hoops that, that we've they wouldn't let us adopt, uh, uh, adopt him without the birth father but the birth father didn't exist because he wasn't born in a hospital so he wasn't a citizen of Jamaica uh, he didn't exist according to the government so we had to go find him and then we had to make him exist according to the get him citizenship get him all, So like it was a crazy process of going through stuff either it was corruption different things there's all these blockages and it was like an impossible journey remember going to, on the front lawn of the Parliament of Canada and, 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 inner, and crying, like doing a video that actually went viral. It went on the news and asking our prime minister to help our family. And the prime minister and every politi- politician that we reached out to said, it will be impossible for your family to um, immigrate in, or come back into Canada. The Jamaican government said it will be impossible for you to adopt um, your son. Every every everyone we went to it said it will be impossible. Aren't you glad that we serve an impossible God? Yeah. We ended up at the the Supreme Court of Jamaica All the way fighting our court case all the way to the Supreme Court in Jamaica But before we get there I was in a meeting in Stony Plain, Alberta There was this guy named Sean Bolts. i would never heard of him before he was in one of our services, and this was a highly entertaining service because the word of knowledge was like off the charts. He was calling out people's phone numbers, um, area code phone numbers. He was calling out like details. I'm a pastor's kid, so I've been in like thousands upon thousands of services, but I was like, this is an inter- entertaining service. This is amazing. And, and, and then he said, uh, he called out my wife's name. He said, is there a Rita in the room? And I said, well, well, that's my wife's name. And there's about 500 people in the room. I said, well, that's my wife's name. And then he said, "Um, do these dates mean anything to you? Um, And he said, "Uh, May 30th. I said, well, that's my wife's birthday. And then he said, what about May 11th? I was like, well, that's my birthday. And he says, well, what about August 21st? I'm like, well, that's our anniversary. And I realized this must, be God because I just remembered all the dates. (laughs) I legit like burst into tears because um, he called out my wife's name. He says, I see a small child on an island. Um, I think it's Jamaica. Does that make sense? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm barely able to respond at this point because I'm so touched by the word of God over our family. We were in a hopeless situation where the government was saying it was impossible. Everybody was saying it was impossible. And God was calling out our specific situation. And so I, 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 I remember just trying to respond. He said, I see a small black child on an island, a, a Daxie. I, does that make any sense to you? Daxie was what we, you know, our cute name for that we called him. His name was Dax. And, uh... And and then he said, I see that there's been some corruption. There's been some missing paperwork. And literally, that was what we were dealing with that week. They had hidden our file. And he said, "Um, I see the hand of humanity trying to hold back your adoption case. And he says, but I see the hand of God removing the hand of humanity. And your adoption testimony will be a testimony to the whole church at large that adoption is always worth it no matter what the cost and your son has a ministry on his life the ministry of adoption is also on his life he's going to be like a Moses going back to see his people delivered and set free and so don't you just love the prophetic word of God that gives you hope in a hopeless situation we, uh, we were still years into it when we ended up at the Supreme Court of Jamaica and a judge sided with us and said, I don't know why there's been so much trouble that you've had, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm siding with you guys. This is a good thing that you are doing and, we're gonna, and it's gonna set a precedence in Jamaica for adoption. And so other adoptions that are being held up, they're gonna go through too because of your persistence. Come on, sometimes you go through a battle And it's not just about you and your family. It's actually for a whole bunch of other orphans that God wants to set free. And that's what God does in family revival. Adoption is the ministry of our heavenly father. He brought us all into adoption. And heaven was bankrupt so that we could become adopted. Jesus gave his life so that we could come into adoption. And so our ministry is really connected to, to revival and family and the spirit of adoption. And, uh, and, and so um, when we got back into Canada, we, we wanted to have more children, but we still had, you know, uh, an impossible situation. And so my wife, she's crazy. She does this, like, research on the Internet, and she finds things that I've never heard about. She's like, there are embryo clinics where there's cryogenically frozen embryos in Edmonton and Vancouver, all over the country. Thousands and thousands of embryos that they're just being stored there and most of them are just being donated to science. But some people are donating their embryos. So she found a Facebook group where people are donating embryos and she put her profile up and there was a family that had been praying, God, who do we donate our embryos to? And they'd been holding on to these embryos for 15 years. Paying every year to have these embryos frozen. So our our son, Cassian, was implanted into my wife's womb. And he was born just over a year ago. He's he's just one year old. And he broke the record for surviving the thaw. They've never had an embryo survive a 15-year thaw. So he's a miracle child. And we tell Dax that he's actually the younger brother. Cassian is 15 years old. <laughs> but both of our children are, are, are miracle children. I want to I tell you today, God is in the mood for miracles. The question is, are we in the mood? Because God is always in the mood for miracles. It's what he does. It's who he is. He is in the mood for miracles tonight God is in the mood for miracles. You know, here, healing is one of the, fun, the funnest, you know, just incredible things. I, I believe miracles are one of the love languages of heaven. You know, there's like different love languages, right? There's touch, there's gifts, there's, attend, you know, like quality time. God does all of that. And when he touches somebody's knee and pain leaves their knee and, and they can go back to work, don't you feel loved when the power of God touches somebody? And I love it because it's physically changing something. It's a spiritual reality coming and taking precedence over a natural reality and changing the physical reality. My b- brain goes tilt when I see something physically change because heaven enters into the room. I, I love it. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Listen, listen to this. Acts 2, 22, It says, people of Israel, Listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Very interesting verse, because something to do with miracles, signs, and wonders is actually like heaven's endorsement over Jesus saying, this is the son of God, and he has the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and set people free. Something connected to signs and wonders that, that actually marked Jesus' ministry that also confirmed that he was the son of God. It's very interesting. You know, I want to tell you about my first encounter with God. I was a pastor's kid, but we grew up in a small town outside of Edmonton. It was, it was called Breton, it was a small little town, and we, we were outside of that town like 15 minutes, like just in the bush. And, uh, and so I was homeschooled. And so my only social interaction was like my my youth group, my baseball team, my hockey team, and I was a social butterfly. I just like was an extreme extrovert. I loved my friends. I lived for being like the popular kid. I just wanted my my friends around me all the time, and that was my life. And we had a church split, and I lost all of my friends in one Sunday, every one of my friends. As a 15-year-old boy, this is like devastating, (laughs) Because um, my whole life just fell apart before my very own eyes. And now all of a sudden, my friends, my world, I'm not even allowed to see them. And I wasn't really on my parents' part. My parents did everything they could to protect me. My parents were great pastors. But it was just, it's just what happened. They, splitted, they split over a difference of doctrine. Do you know what I think is, is interesting? When people, they, they, they split up because of disagreement you know I I believe that we're bound by love not bound by agreements so I can actually be in covenant with my wife and still have a disagreement (laughs) I'm not theologically I'm not I don't have the exact same opinion as my wife but guess what we are bound to one another because we're known by our love we're known for our love for one another and so anyways uh, experienced this church split, and so I would get up in the morning, I would have breakfast with my mom and dad, and I'd have lunch with my mom and dad, and I'd have supper with my mom and dad. My mom and dad are awesome, but man, I, I started to feel really isolated. I started to feel really lonely. I started to, to, to feel depressed. I start, that's what happens when the enemy can isolate you. He can, he can attack you. And so I felt isolated. I felt alone. I didn't know who I was or what. I didn't have a purpose for living. I didn't have any reason to even really be alive. And so I started listening to depressing music. Uh, I, back in the, in, in the 90s, there was this shock rocker called Marilyn Manson. And I started listening to Marilyn Manson. And there was something about it that connected, I connected with, the anger, the pain. I didn't know that he grew up in a, in a youth group. And he was bullied in his Catholic youth group. And so he grew up hating the church. And I I didn't hate God, but I I was angry at being abandoned by all my friends. I was angry at the church for splitting up. I was experiencing extreme church hurt. And I remember connecting. There was something spiritually that was pulling me. I was always, you know, curious about the supernatural, and so there's something like that was pulling me and I found out he was supposed to be banned from coming to Canada, but I found out he, uh, he got through and he was doing a concert in Edmonton in this big, massive arena. And so I hitchhiked. Um, my parents didn't know. I hitchhiked to Edmonton. I was like 15 years old. Hitchhiked to Edmonton. And I, I got a ticket and I got into this concert. And it, I'm a feeler. Are there any feelers in the room? Like you can feel the atmosphere when you come in. Somebody's had a fight and you can feel the tension. There's like something's off. You, you just feel. You're empathetic. You can feel when somebody's going through something. I, I'm, a, I'm a feeler. And so I come into this concert and I feel a swirl of emotion in this place. They're doing this thing called uh, the wall of death. And they're like on one side and on one side. They, 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 then they run at each other. And there's people like breaking their legs and breaking their arms. There's like blood on the floor. Man, there was not a lot of happy faces. Like everybody had a scowl on their face. <laughs> and, and I remember in that atmosphere, I started hearing voices that were not my own. And, I, I, and the voices said, this, this world has nothing for you. You need to get out now. It hurts too much. There's just pain this is just, you're alone, there's nothing for you. And, and I recognized it wasn't my voice, it was, it was other voices. And then amongst, I remember thinking about, what would it look like to end my life tonight? How could I just, would anybody miss me? And I just started thinking about this and how I would do it and all this kind of stuff. And then right in the middle of like, the lowest moment of my, my life, when I felt like this heavy spirit of depression, oppression, I just felt this heaviness on me. I heard these voices, but then I heard another voice. And it was the voice of God. And this is one of the first supernatural experiences I've, I've ever had, because up until that point, I just had my parents' faith. But this was my first encounter with God for myself. And I remember everything froze. All, the mosh pit stopped, the lights stopped, the music stopped everything stopped and it was like the spotlight was on me and i heard god's voice he said my name he said tj take a look around the room and look at the ones who are running as far away from me as fast as they possibly can who will run after them and i remember for the first time i had a sense of purpose i had a sense of vision for my life i remember and you know in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. But I know in Proverbs it says, Without purpose, without vision, people die. Yeah. And that's what I was dying on the inside. But all of a sudden, I, I, it's like I answered an altar call in the middle of a Marilyn Manson mosh pit. I, I don't remember if I did this physically, but I felt like I put up my hand. I was like... God, send me. I'll go to the darkest places. You know what? We'll be a family of, I'll gather the misfits, the outcasts, the addicted, the broken, the ones who always feel like they're a missing puzzle piece and they never fit in anywhere. I was like, God, I'll gather them. We'll be a family of misfits. We'll be the island of misfit toys, but we'll be a family, right? And so I was like, God, send me. And I remember feeling for the first time a calling on my life. God's word over my life, and and the the heaviness broke off of my life, and I felt light, and I felt full of hope, and I felt full of purpose. That was the moment where the spirit of suicide was broken off of my life, and it was with God speaking a word, his voice, his prophetic voice, and giving me purpose and giving me hope. I remember leaving that concert as fast as I could. I I didn't need to be there anymore. And I remember calling and, and finding musicians. And that week, I, I started a band. And I said, guys, we're going to be musicianaries. We are going to go into the darkest places possible. We're not going to play at the youth conferences. We're not playing at, at, at the, the youth groups. We're not playing at church. No, no, no. We're, we're going to play in the darkest places possible. And so I'm dating myself a little bit, but we made a mixtape, okay? Okay. <laughs> And we sent it out to all the festivals, and we were like on MSN and IS, uh, ICQ, and, and we got our, our, our uh, uh, MySpace profile up with our music on our MySpa- MySpace, and we, and we tried to get, you know, just gigs and concerts with, you know, secular bands, metal bands, hardcore bands, punk bands. We were like this uh, heavy, hardcore band, and I was the lead screamer. <laughs> and... Um, and so we finally got some invites to a place out in the bush, out far away, and it was this abandoned hall. And we're young teenagers. We, we, we should have had red flags going off all over the place, but we were too young and dumb to understand that this was actually a, a dangerous place that we got invited to. It was an abandoned hall. The bathrooms didn't work. There was no power in the building. They had a generator outside, and they just kind of like plugged, it, plugged stuff in from the outside. And... Uh, when we pulled up, we were the opening band, we were like all excited, nervous, and got the jitters because, you know, like 15 years old, we're just like pumped for this concert, and we noticed we were playing with this one band that had like a whole bunch of skeletons and satanic symbols, and there was this other band that was like really sketchy, and we noticed tons of bikers there, and, and they had like weird stickers, we noticed this Nazi sticker, we noticed another KKK sticker, and we, all of a sudden we realized we were like the opening band for an underground white supremacist concert. We were the opening band, Christian band. And we got up on stage. That wasn't a stage. It was just the corner of the abandoned hall. But we're like, we're a Christian band and we love Jesus with all our hearts. And they started throwing beer bottles at us and cussing us out and spitting on us and, uh, and, and we were trying to be metal. So we're like, bring it on. It's just fuel to the fire. <laughs> and we launched into our first song. And my first song, our first song was how God set me free from suicide. It was my whole testimony was our first song. And halfway through the song, we had this breakdown with like the drums. And we didn't know what to do. So we all would plan, we all planned this. We would all just start shouting in tongues and speaking, you know, in the, in the spirit. During this breakdown. And I remember this heavy breakdown and we're all shouting in tongues and you could feel the atmosphere of anger and pain start to shift and you could feel heaven start to enter into that room. You could feel angels start to enter into the room. You could feel the presence of God as we're shouting this heavy metal band praising God in front of these people that are criminals, that are angry, that hate, that are filled with hate. And at the end of our concert, I remember that first song, they walked in with us. They were like, mouths open, eyes wide, like, who are these guys? (laughs) The end of our concert, we're like, who wants to give their life to Jesus? A Jewish man, the son of God, the savior of the world, who lived and died to set you all free. And I remember that quietly, people started to come forward and start to kneel at the altar, and tears streaming down their faces. And I was the most surreal experience, my hands on these skinheads. And I'm praying over these people, and there's broken people who are angry, who, who had been abused by their fathers, who'd been hurt, who, who'd learned to hate, and the Father God just coming and wrecking their whole world and bringing heaven. I remember seeing like close to 30 people give their lives to Jesus that night. I remember this is what I was made for. I was like, this is why I'm on planet Earth. This is what I'm here for. To go to the darkest places, to go where there is no hope, and breathe hope into that atmosphere. Bring good news into a place where there's only darkness. Uh, I, I feel like God is giving us an invitation tonight to follow him into a place we've never been before to follow him on the adventure of a lifetime. And I just wanna ask, who will say yes to the adventure of following Jesus into the unknown, wherever he takes you, wherever he takes you? You know, we were made for adventure, we're made for discovery. I I thank God for your history you know like we all have history with god thank god for your history but there is so much more that he wants to show you uh, can you just put yourself in abraham's shoes for a moment can you imagine being in an, an environment of sun god worshipers his father was a sun god worshiper in the talmud it says that he had uh, a temple to all the all the idols that he worshiped and and abraham has an encounter with the one lit true god the living god and uh, and abraham god talks to abraham he says come out of your tents come out of your father's house come out of the covering that you've been under and i want you to see the stars i want to see the, the you to see the possibilities of where i want to take you and where i want to take your name and your family and your descendants will you dream with me and will you go on an adventure with me will you journey with me and we are here today in this church because the fa- a father of our faith, Abraham, dared to leave all of his tradition behind, leave even his family behind, and say yes to the adventure of following, following Jesus, following God into the mystery of the unknown. That's why he's known. Like he, The Jewish faith was created because someone r- t- stepped out into an unknown space of following God where nobody had ever gone before. We're here today because of Abraham's obedience to saying yes. Your yes to the adventure could change church history. Can you imagine being one of the, the, the disciples being raised in a Jewish tradition, invited into the adventure of a lifetime by Yeshua, this crazy rabbi who is doing everything backwards? like rabbi you you didn't rabbis didn't come and find you that never happens you would go to a rabbi and you would say you go to your favorite rabbi who was an expert in the law or the prophets and you would go to them and you would say can i do what you do can i can i do what you do and they would say, okay, well, let's see. And they would test you in all of the law and the prophets. And only the brightest, only the smartest, only the people who were almost perfect, those were the only people who the rabbi would, sh- would say, okay, maybe you can do what I do. Maybe you can carry on my ministry. A rabbi's ministry was called his yoke. It was his doctrine. It was his theology. It was his ministry. And he would pass his yoke on to his disciples. But his disciples, they would have to follow him so close that you would actually get covered in, in their dust. So, so if you came in, into a village and you were covered by the dust of a rabbi, it was actually an honor because it meant you were following your rabbi so closely that he was covering you with his dust. It's a blessing, it was called the blessing of being um, covered in the dust of your rabbi. But the thing about disciples, they would have to walk like their rabbi. They would literally have to walk like if the rabbi had a limp or a bit of a, you know, a swagger to his walk, they would have to learn how to walk like their rabbi. They'd literally have to walk like them. They'd have to dress like them. They'd have to have the same accent as them because the goal was to be the expressed image of their rabbi. So when they carried on the ministry, it would be seamless. Does that make sense? And so Jesus does it all backwards and he goes and finds people who had to return to their father's job because they had been rejected by the rabbis. They weren't smart enough. They weren't bright enough. They had to go back to their blue-collar job. They had to go back to this job or that job and they, because they weren't the brightest in the bunch. They weren't educated enough. See, see, rabbis worked so hard on their yokes. Their yokes were heavy. They had heavy yokes, and they were complicated. Religion always complicates things and so so jesus comes along yeshua comes along and he finds some rejects that are out fishing and they're not the smartest they're a little bit emotionally up and down <laughs> they're like cutting off ears and all kinds of weird things and he says you come and follow me i see myself in you you can carry on my ministry. You can look li- just like me. You can walk just like me. You can talk just like me. You come and follow me. He finds these fishermen and says, yeah, you come and follow me and look like me, walk like me, carry on my ministry. And then he finds, he finds a tax collector. You guys know what a tax collector is? Yeah, everybody knows what a tax collector is. Yeah. It's like a tax collector in Jewish culture was like the one that you was disinvited from Thanksgiving. Like turn the lights off, like the tax collectors come, and we're like, you are disowned from the family. Literally, you're a traitor to your whole community. This is the highest form of being a traitor was being a tax collector because you're stealing money from your own people, your own brothers, your own sisters, your own community, and you're giving it to the oppressive Roman empire. And so you were like a traitor. You you had no Jewish friends. And so Jesus comes to a tax collector, and he says... Do you know what? You can be just like me. You don't have to be corrupt. You don't have to be in bondage to finances. You don't have to be greedy. You can be as generous as I am. Come and follow me and look just like me. Walk with me and be covered in my dust. And then he goes on the other side of the political spectrum okay? And he finds some zealots. Do you guys know? This is like right wing, left wing, okay? You got some zealots on the other side of the spectrum. These guys hated the Roman Empire. They were men of war. They were like the underground guerrilla warfare army. They were, it was illegal for Hebrews to have have weapons, so they probably had a stash of them somewhere, and maybe when they got enough wine in their belly, maybe during Passover, then there would be an assassination attempt, or there would be a riot. These were the zealots, the soldiers that were ready to fight for the freedom of their nation, but they weren't allowed to. And he comes across and he sees a zealot and he says, you don't have to be a man of war. You can be a man of peace. I see myself in you. And he said, can you love one another right now? Can you love the tax collector as I love you? Those were the, that was the test. If you could be my disciple, if you could love one another, that man, Jesus picked some strange church elders, church board members. He picked some strange people. He's picked some strange disciples for him to carry on the yoke of his ministry. Aren't you glad Jesus picked you? You know what? You didn't find him. He found you. He found you. And he says, I see myself in you. In fact, my DNA is on the inside of you. I put my DNA on the inside of you. And actually, you're not called to works of, uh, uh, of evil. You're, you're actually called to works of righteousness. And the same power that raised me from the dead, I put it on the inside of you. You're made in my image. And when you walk in love, you look just like your dad's. <laughs> when you walk in love, you look just like me because God is love. And so Jesus, Jesus picked people that didn't make the cut. He picked people that were educated and uneducated, outcasts, rejects, traitors, violent men, fishermen, blue-collar, white-collar, he picked us. He picked us to be his image bearers. There's this, that expression of, like, you have to walk like your rabbi, you have to look like your rabbi. Well, Jesus picked the people that didn't make the cuts. He chose the outcasts. You know what, there's a rumor about that rabbi, Yeshua that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. Kids would come to that, 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 that. Every other rabbi, they wouldn't allow that, but women and kids would come to that rabbi and he would invite them to. See, religion overcomplicates things and Jesus says, no, I want you to know the simplicity of the good news, the power of the cross, the power. I love that Jesus didn't just have an easy yoke. He had a ministry of destroying yokes. Oh man, this is why the, they, they didn't like him very much in, in the religious circles. Imagine being a rabbi and you worked so hard on your yoke. You've studied your whole life. You know the law and the prophets. You know everything. And you've followed all the complicated rules. And then Jesus comes in and he just breaks the yoke. It's like Jesus being the original deconstruction. <laughs> he just comes in and breaks the yoke. You know, if I had a coffee cup and I threw it down and it broke into six pieces, maybe we could find some like crazy glue and we could put it together and maybe we could use it again. But that word for destroying the yoke, it means absolutely obliterating it so it could never be used again. Jesus had a ministry, come on you guys. Jesus had a ministry of going into regions where religion was heavy over places and it was a heavy yoke and he would teach freedom in a way that those people could never teach what they teach anymore. They could not teach that heavy religion anymore because it was absolutely exposed and broken and destroyed and people were set free from that religious yoke. Jesus's ministry was a ministry of setting every captive free. Luke chapter 14, it says, and verse 25, it says, Many people were traveling with Jesus. He said to them, If you come to me but will not leave your family, you cannot be my follower. You must love me more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even more than your own life. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, Forget everything that you've been taught by your culture. Forget everything that you've been taught by your traditions and your family. I want to show you a brand new way of living I want you to step out of that old space and I wanna take you somewhere brand new. You know, I I love how Jesus paid taxes, how he paid taxes was miraculous. They asked Jesus, hey, like, bro, do you even pay taxes? <laughs> and, and, and Jesus is like, oh, yeah, taxes. Let, let's go fishing. You know, that is a great way to pay your taxes. The church needs to get a hold of that. Like, just go fishing. <laughs> That's how we pay. But in the mouth of the fish that they caught was two drachma coins, which was enough to pay for two people's temple tax. That was enough to pay for Jesus' temple tax, And Peter's temple tax, who was was married. Everybody else was the proper age to be a a Talmud, a a disciple. They were the proper age. After their bar mitzvah, you would go and be a a, a disciple. Jesus was, the, the disciples, historians believe, were around 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Jesus was leading a youth group, you guys. Isn't that amazing? See... Uh, I, I remember uh, when I was early on in ministry I, I, uh, I wanted to go on a mission trip and we got invited to Ecuador and I was, I, was ni- I think it was 19 or 20 and I was really really like young and dumb and didn't know what I was doing in ministry and, uh, but I was zealous I was ready to see Ecuador in revival and, and so we were going there with the team and so we t- sent a team ahead of us but I had a speaking engagement so I spoke the, that, one, that night and my team went ahead of us and so I came on the, the flight the next day. So I was on this flight and it was the longest. I'm, I'm such a bad administrator. My wife will tell you about this. Like, I have no idea how to book flights. So I probably booked like the worst flights, connections that you could possibly book. And it was like over, it was like 30 hours of flight. <laughs> horrible <laughs> i remember getting there and we we're trying to land and everybody on the plane is like super uh, upset they just want to get off the plane because it's been a long journey and they're like just ready to get off and there was this fog that covered the runway and we couldn't land the plane and the, the pilot says okay we're gonna have to go to another city fill up with gas and then we'll come back and so we did that and we came back but it's now like three in the morning so everybody exits off the plane. It's three in the morning, and um, the the taxi cabs are like filling up, and it's like it, there, there's no flight information. Like this is just like a small like airport, and um, I realize my cell phone doesn't work in South America. <laughs> I'm a bad administrator. I know I don't plan for these things, <laughs> and so but I have the address on a piece of paper of where I'm supposed to go, and I have the phone number. And so um, I I go up to a taxi cab, and I realize nobody speaks English in Ecuador. (laughs) And the guy, I'm like talking to him, and I'm sorry, I was like super young, super ignorant, I just didn't know what I was doing. But there was a a crew there from YWAM who was gonna take care of me and don't worry about it. But the people who were supposed to meet me, they were not there because I didn't come at 12 when I was supposed to be there, so I show up and nobody's there and I can't get a hold of them. So I just jump in this cab, and I'm like, I say, do you know this address? Like, are you sure you know where this address is? Can you get me here? And the guy's like, In, like nodding up and down 100%. No problem, you know, 100%. And so after the third lap around the city, I realized this guy knows no—he does not know where he's going. But I'm noticing something that is a little bit concerning. There's, there's people with full body armor and mach- like fully automatic weapons walking around properties because they were having some trouble with the cartel and there was, it was like a tense, you know, in the city there was a whole bunch of stuff that was going on. It was actually very unsafe for me to be out there at night by myself. And so he drops me off at this place that I'm like, I don't think this is the right place. <laughs> and uh, Knocks on the door, and this old lady comes to the door in here like nightgown, and she doesn't speak a lick of English, and she invites me into the home, and I'm like, I don't don't know if I should do this. Am I about to get kidnapped? Like, what's going on? And so I walk in. It's like almost 5 in the morning at this point. And so I walk into the house, and she takes me upstairs into this this bedroom upstairs, uh, and there's a picture of Jesus on the wall. So I'm like, oh, that's a little bit comforting. Like, I'm probably... (laughs) And so I fall asleep, and I have a dream. And in that dream, I see the woman's daughter on life support. And I think, and I I see the doctors come over to her, the mother, and say, there's nothing else we can do for her. We're going to have to take her off life support. And they pull the plug, and I wake up in intercession praying for the woman's daughter. But I feel this intense need to communicate to the woman and to pray for the woman's daughter. So I, uh, I go downstairs, and she's got a breakfast ready for me. And, um, and I can't communicate, but there's this br- the dream that's burning in my heart. Her son walks in the door, and he speaks a little bit of English, and so he can translate for me. So I, I share the dream and when I finished sharing the dream, she, she lets out a cry and, and she falls to the floor. She collapsed to the floor. And the brother says, we're going to, to see our daughter or, or her daughter, my sister, today in the, in the hospital. They said there's nothing left they can do for, for her. They're taking her off life support today. I said, well, we're, we're doing a youth conference. If I can find where it is, if I can find my team tonight, we're doing a youth conference. Can you bring her to this? Like, here's the location of the youth conference. Can you bring her there tonight? And we will lay hands on her and we will pray for her. Believe God for a miracle. And so they open up the door and they're walking out and leaving me in the house by alone. And I see my youth group playing soccer across the street at the YWAM base. I'm like, oh, it's just across the street. So, so I, I get my stuff and go across the street. She was actually a bed and breakfast. So she was ready and prepared for me and everything. And so I go across the street, and we go to our youth conference, and uh, she, she gets her daughter there, and she's, she's comatose. She's not um, responsive at, at all. And so our whole team starts to lay hands on her and she starts to shake with like the power of God starts to move on this young girl we can feel like fire we can feel the anointing start to go into this girl's body and we're praying and after after like 15 minutes of her just shaking there laying there we leave her we go out and we speak at the youth conference and when we come back in at the end into the green room at the end of the service she is standing up and all the rest of her family are on their knees Um, giving their lives back to Jesus. Because what I didn't know is that the mom was the only one who kept the faith believing for a miracle for her daughter. But all the other siblings said, why would God do this to our sister? Uh, And we want nothing to do with Christianity. And they walked away and they were angry at God. And there she is standing totally set free and totally healed of the disease that that ailed her brought the whole saw the whole family come to jesus and so there i was a young youth pastor who didn't know what i was doing i wasn't the brightest uh in the bunch but i i i got on a plane and the flight got delayed because of this fog i mean, i had to come back at three and and there was only one taxi cab left who dropped me off at the wrong place or was it the right place so I could encounter this woman and pray for this 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 girl. I love the sovereignty of God. That when we say yes to the adventure, and maybe we we don't haven't had it all figured out, and we don't know how to do ministry, and we're not like a professional uh, uh, minister, we're we're just we're just saying yes. We're available. God will put us in the right place, right exactly where we need to be to see somebody's miracle. You know, your delay in your journey is a setup for a miracle. God has a master plan to see a miracle in your life to get you exactly where he wants you to be. I love the sovereignty of God. I love embracing the mystery and saying yes to the adventure with Jesus. You know, Jesus is the most supernatural and the least superstitious person I know. He's the most supernatural and the least superstitious. See, superstition is a fear of the supernatural. A lot of people are superstitious. Jesus was supernatural. He lived in that realm. I, I, I love this, this story. You know, a lot of times we're afraid of what we don't understand or can't comprehend. But don't let your mind talk you out of the miracles that God wants to do in you. Matthew 14, uh, uh, this is my last passage immediate in verse 22 it says immediately jesus made his disciples get in a boat and go on ahead of him (laughs) to the other side he dismissed the crowd and after he had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it shortly before dawn jesus went out to them walking on the lake When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked to the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out and of his uh, out his hand and caught him. Ye have little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and there and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god you know of all the people that should have recognized jesus you think it would have been the disciples who like sleep next to him uh, eat you know with him they journey with him every single day they know exactly how he walks they know even at a distance you think that they would have been able to recognize jesus I submit to you that they they, they do recognize Jesus in his figure, but they'd never seen Jesus moving on water before. They'd never seen Jesus walking. He'd never been that miraculous before. And that scared them, that terrified them because they'd never seen, isn't it interesting how most revivals are the biggest critics of the next move of God because they saw God move one way and now God is moving in a completely different way. That, that scares us, that must not be God because I know revival in, I had revival in the 80s, this must not be God. You know, when they cried out, that's a ghost. Did you know that if you go into Hebrew culture, they don't have ghosts? You go through the Bible, they don't have ghosts, they don't have, so them crying out, that's a ghost, that would have been them crying out, like, that's new age, that's a different supernatural that we don't recognize. And so they were hesitant, but I love Peter, you guys. He jumps up and he says, Jesus, if that's you, I might not recognize how you're moving right now, but if that's you, and you're walking in the supernatural in a way I've never seen, if that's you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out of the boat and I'm gonna walk in the miracles with you. And I love Peter because he steps out of the boat. One of the disciples of Jesus, one of the people who are supposed to follow in Jesus and how he walks, started to walk on water with Jesus. As long as you're holding the hand of Jesus, you can walk in miracles with him, and you will not sink. The things that used to terrify, they were they were fishermen, they knew the dangers of that, those waters. Maybe they lost relatives in those waters. They knew the dangers of those storms. But Jesus is walking along what used to terrify them, and he's saying, come and walk on the waters with me. You know, God doesn't want you just to have a visitation. He wants you to become a habitation. You know, signs and wonders, they will offend your minds. Signs will make you wonder, right? (laughs) Right? You know, the preaching of the word, it says in the Bible, the preaching of the word accompanied by signs and wonders. It was like signs and wonders was God's amen to the preaching of the words. You know, uh, how much time do we've got? we got, we should probably land. You know what? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here in just a few minutes. But I want to tell you about I, when I first started seeing signs and wonders, it really scared me. I remember in a revival service, we were ministering and the whole front row got covered in gold dust. People's arms got covered in gold. People's hair, people's faces were covered in gold. And I didn't say anything from the front because I'd never seen God move like that. And I remember in one service, there was somebody preaching about under his feathers and these feathers started to appear in the room and start to fall on people's Bibles while they were reading about Psalms under his feathers, angel feathers. I I, I remember in a youth service, there were uh, gemstones that started to appear. And the whole story was uh, this intercessor had passed away and she called her intercessor her gems. She passed away the week before and so there was a prayer meeting, they were honoring her And while they were honoring her, her seat started to get covered with gemstones. And these kids from my youth group, they ran over and and they started to pick up the gemstones, but they were a little bit late because the adults had gotten to them first. But while they got on their hands and knees and they looked for them on the floor, I saw them appear. They weren't there before, but all of a sudden they started to show up while the kids looked at them. And God taught me something. He says, TJ, if we would just look with childlike face, we would see the miraculous a whole lot more. With Look with childlike faith, faith and expectation for the miraculous. I remember one service where this crazy guy, my spiritual father, Charlie Robinson, said, there's dental miracles in the room are God's healing cavities right now. There's going to be gold teeth in the room. And I'm like, yeah, right. And he called me. He said, TJ, get flashlights. And so we had all the flat ushers with flashlights. And we're looking in people's mouths who need a dental miracle. And I am like, honestly, half-heartedly into this. Like, I, this is so weird. This is so outside of my paradigm. But I've got a flashlight in this man's mouth. And I see his back molar start to transition into like a, a different color. And it, it goes like, you know, like an oil slick. You see where like, almost like the rain, like rainbow color, like purple, that metallic colors. I saw it turn like that metallic color before it totally went gold. I remember standing there stunned because I had never seen anything like this before. And I said, God, I can't preach this unless you show it to me in the Bible. Like show me this in the Bible I don't want to be a heretic I don't want to be you know like I'm gonna get enough hate mail as it is God if this is you Jesus if this is you I will throw away my theological life jacket I'll step out of my denominational boats I'll forget everything else and I'll say Jesus I'm coming with you but you got to show me that it's really you and so he showed me a picture he says "I'll, I'll show you a picture I'll show you in the word. And he started to show me the Ark of the Covenant that is solid gold. And then he said that the mercy seat was feathers, the wings of the angels over the mercy seat. And the only people who could go into that holy of holy place were the high priest who had all the gemstones of the 12 tribes of Israel on their breastplates. He said, it's about becoming a habitation. See, a sign, we don't follow the signs. Signs are supposed to follow them that believe. We're supposed to leave a wake of signs and wonders while we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We don't follow the signs. Signs follow us. And so I said, okay, God, I see it in your word. I see it in your presence. It's about us becoming the Ark of the Covenants, a resting place. We don't stop at the signs. We keep going. It would be absolutely hilarious if we see know San Jose a hundred miles away we stop at the sign and we all cheer and we like we've arrived yeah and you camp out at the sign that's absurd signs point you into the right direction signs point you to Jesus signs point you to Jesus and it's about you becoming a habitation of his presence guys I, I remember the first time I met my wife Rita it was like, it was like electric. I, I, I was smitten, I was head over heels in love. I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. I still do. <laughs> and, and I remember the first time I hold, held her hand, I was like, this is, yes, Jesus, <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> I remember we had first, there was our first date. There was a time I went to her father to ask if I could marry her, there was a, our wedding. There, that now um, in in August August twenty first we'll be celebrating our our seventeenth uh, year of anniversary. But after seventeen years, I have not figured my wife out. There are so many more firsts to experience with her. There's so many more adventures. That we have to have there's so many countries that we have to visit there's so many adventures that we have to have together yet we're just getting started and so Jesus is the bridegroom and you are the bride and he's saying I have brand new first to experience with you this year and so I've got a word for you who will say yes to the adventure of following Jesus into a whole new brand brand new adventure who will step out of the boat? Who will take off the life vest and say, Jesus, I'm putting all of my faith in you. And if you want to do weird miracles that make my brain go, you know, tilt, you just do whatever you want to do. If you want to show up in signs and wonders. In fact, the disciples got together in the book of Acts and one of their prayers was God move in signs and wonders. It's actually biblical to pray for God to move in signs and wonders. But we have a church that's holding back and say, well, people won't understand that. We've got to be seeker sensitive. You know what? The Holy Spirit is the best seeker that you will ever see. So we can just make space for heaven to come. And you know what they do in heaven? They pave streets with gold. And so when heaven starts to shake and we start to worship, it makes sense that it might get a little dusty here on the earth. Come on, I feel this is a prophetic message for many of you. This is a season of saying yes to a brand new adventure with Jesus. Bro, this is a season of saying yes to a brand new adventure with Jesus. He's calling you out of the boat. He's calling, it's been good. You've gone through some stuff. But God is saying, I've got a whole brand new adventure for you waiting for you. If I could give the gift, uh, any spiritual gift to anybody, it would be the gift of hunger. To know God more, to be hungry for Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, because they're going to see God. And I feel like some of you, it's just like you've gotten tired of being hungry. You, you've been expecting the signs and wonders. You've been expecting the miracles. And you're like, God, where are you? Like, show me the money. Like, where are you, God? God. He is present to heal. He's right here. This is December. I, I, I believe it. This is a year. that This month, December, I believe it's full of miracles for those who are hungry for God. It's a miracle season. It's an Advent season. Jesus is coming every day. And every day he keeps coming. Holy Spirit is coming. Every day he keeps coming. So if you, want, if you want to say yes, if you feel like that's resonating to you, just I want you to stand up. If you're saying, God, I, yes to the adventure. If you're taking me somewhere new, if you want me to start a new business, if you want me to step into ministry, if you want to step into missions, wherever you're taking me, I'm just saying, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Just put your hands up right now. Just all over the room. Just put your hands up. God, we say yes in this place. We say yes in your own mouth just let out a loud yes yes to the adventure yes Jesus we're hungry for you Woo. I feel hunger I feel hunger being stirred in the room God, I, f- I declare Lord that you would move in this place in signs and wonders like we have never seen I want, a- I want the new first with Holy Ghost I want new first with Holy Spirit I want new first holy spirit thank you god who just cry out for hunger right now just cry out say god make me hungry holy spirit make me hungry i'm hungry for you lord i'm hungry for you lord thank you jesus We thank all of you guys for joining us for service or listening on YouTube. Really hope that it was a blessing to you. So if there's something you want to do after, if you want to take a next step, there's three steps you can do. First is get involved. If you want to serve, if you want to volunteer, or you just want to get to know us a little bit better, then go to thecollide.com slash interested so we can connect with you. Second is, if you want to give, if you want to support what God's doing at Collide City Church financially, then we need your support. And go to thecollide.com the slash give. And last but not least, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, then you can go to thecollide.com slash salvation. And we want to connect with you. We want to be part of your story. So it's all on the website. Thank you so much. Have a great week.